0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Katie Langston, and uh, today's episode is a cross-posting with um, A Thoughtful Faith. Um, our good friend, Gina Colvin, over at A Thoughtful Faith interviewed uh, the Reverend Dr. Fatima Saleh and myself um, about our experiences in seminary and divinity school. Um, so we are cross-posting that episode here on Project Zion as well. Um, to hear more of Gina's excellent content, visit a ThoughtfulFaith.org. Hope you enjoy.
1: Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world.
2: Welcome to A Thoughtful Faith. Today my guests are the Reverend Dr. Fatima Saleh and Katie Langston. Katie is a Master of Divinity and a candidate for ordination in the Evangelical Lutheran Church. And Fatima is a graduate of Duke Divinity School. You're currently working there, aren't you, Fatima? I am. What's your position there? I'm head
3: academic support at Duke Divinity School.
2: And I've just finished my first year of graduate work at, at Laidlaw College, which is a New Zealand based theological school, which is super, super evangelical. And I keep saying I don't speak evangelical very well, so I've spent a lot of time catching up with the language, knowing what to say. Things like how's God moving in us, (laughs) which I know Katie loves. (laughs) No, it's what is God God up to? to? What's God up to? (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Like she's a sneaky toddler. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And all of us are Mormon women. at at various levels of adherence and uh, belonging. So we thought we'd take this opportunity to have a chat today about what it's been like for Mormon women to attend divinity school or theology college. Welcome to Fatima and Katie.
0: Thanks for having us.
2: Thank you. Theology school, divinity school, religious studies, what's the difference?
0: I think I could take a stab at it, but Fatima, like, jump in if I'm wrong. Okay. Okay. I guarantee you're right. <laughs> 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 yes. Blank check from Fatima. Um so so religious studies would be the academic study of religion. And and there's pro- there's I mean there's overlap, right? In in these but religious studies is the um is the academic study of religion. Um the uh a, a seminary is um Generally speaking, like a standalone institution that um, frequently prepares pastors, right? So the Master of Divinity degree that I'm pursuing right now is a pastoral degree. It's for, um, you know, it's required um, in order to be ordained in many denominations, not all, but many. And then a divinity school is typically connected to another uh, university. Um, so for example, Duke Divinity School is connected to Duke University, um, whereas Luther Seminary, where I'm a student, is a standalone entity. Often a seminary will be, um, uh, not always, but often it will be, um, denominationally affiliated. So Luther Seminary is, uh, one of, I want to say six, I could be wrong, six or seven, um, ELCA, uh. Evangelical Lutheran Church America (ELCA) seminaries in the United States. Does that help?
2: It helps somewhat, yes. So, my next question is: What took you to pursue study in divinity and theology? I'm wondering. Start with you, Fatima, telling us
3: what took
2: you to divinity school.
3: I um, what took me to divinity school? I think it was a. I, I would say that I was. It's kind of a longer process. Like I started having questions towards the end of my my time as far as an active Mormon, I just started bumping heads or coming up against what I couldn't do as a woman in the church. And once I started doing that, and then my husband blessed my daughter and in it, he said in the blessing, may you know that everything's possible for you and that in your life, you will never, never think anything's impossible, you know? And I remember thinking to her myself when he's blessing her, my child that I pushed out of me, um, that he gets to bless. I'm like, wow, she won't be able to do all that she wants or can do here in this church, much like me. And I think it was seeing, seeing, um, and feeling. It's one thing if I'm constricted and from call or what I what I feel God's calling me to. It's another to think that your child might be. So oddly enough, it was this sense of my daughter. I didn't want her to grow up feeling like how I was feeling then. And then a good friend for many years, I was talking to him. He um, graduated from Harvard Div School and was teaching at Columbia. He got his PhD from Harvard Div. And he said, you know what you need to do? You need to go to divinity school. And I went, what? No. I finished my PhD. I was done. I was like, I don't know, $300,000 in debt. So I thought I pretty much had done my, you know, gotten to full enough debt or whatever. And he said, nope, you need to do it. And that's how I ended up in dip school. It was the one application that I wrote in my life that I didn't care if I got accepted or not because I didn't think this was my path. Mm -hmm. And when I got accepted, I, I was literally blown away. I'm like, God couldn't possibly mean for this to be my next step. And once again, I was
2: wrong. And <laughs> <laughs> right, we, we'll get back to how this unfolds for you. Katie, what took you to divinity school?
0: Boy, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I think my journey began probably, you know, 10 or 11 years ago now. Um, I was a very devout and very very unhappy and stressed out and anxious mormon um and um to be quite candid you know there were moments that i felt so anxious and so unworthy um that i i didn't want to live i didn't want to like hurt myself because I knew that was a sin. Um, But I thought it would be a mercy um, if I just died or ceased to exist or something like that. Wow. Um, Yeah,
2: I don't think I've shared that publicly before, but, yeah, Um, it was in a really dark place. Was this related to – was this anxiety about being a Mormon or –
0: yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, you know, I've shared elsewhere, and and I'm pretty open about the fact that you know I have um, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder that tends to manifest as religious scrupulosity, um, and it was really, really, it got really, really bad on my mission, and then it got really, really bad like right after I came home from my mission and got married, and and um, you know I got pregnant like six months after I got married, and it, it was so much happening, so. Uh, all at once. And just this sense that I could never be sure, um, that I was, uh, loved by God. Um, and so it was at that point when I was at my lowest point, um, that I, um, had some very profound experiences with, um, the grace of Christ. And um, a, a turning point for me was uh, I went to a lecture at Utah State University. My, my husband said, you, you might be interested in this. He, he saw a flyer for it. And, and I can't remember if I, I think we went together. Um, but Dr. Jerry Root, who um, actually is a professor or at least was 10 years ago at Wheaton College, which is very conservative <laughs> like school, you know but but some you know evangelical campus group at utah state had brought him in to speak and and he was speaking about um cs lewis and he was speaking about um how cs lewis had been something of a you know of a of a spiritual mentor f- for him through his writing um but the thing that he said that that just stuck with me was he said i know enough of my, I'm a Christian because I know enough of my deficiencies to be devastated. I don't think I could live if it were not for the love and grace of God in Christ. And I had never heard faith framed that way before. My understanding was that we had to do all we can do, right? My understanding was that we had to, um, that, 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 that we did our best and, and then God would make up the difference between our best and God's perfection. And I never felt satisfied that I had done my best. And I didn't even know how you would ever know that you had. You know, it tormented me, literally tormented me. Um, and this just com- completely flipped it that here was a person who was obviously way more spiritually mature than me, who obviously had a lot more, you know, uh, book knowledge and theological knowledge than me. And, you know, he was, in, you know, in his probably in his forties or fifties, you know, just a you know, here's a, here's a mature grown person standing and like saying to a group of strangers, like I know enough of my own deficiencies to be devastated. Um, and I don't, I think I just hadn't, it just, it just really struck me. Um, and it, 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 it turned things around for me um, and I'm not going to say like, and then I never had anxiety again, because that's not true. You know, I, I still struggle with anxiety every day. It's, it's part of um, the lot I have in life. Like I have uh, a, a disorder, like <laughs> right? But it, it opened up this space where for the first time in my entire life I felt like I was truly loved by God and I didn't have to do anything to be loved by God that I, I just was. Um, and, and that started me on a path of deep, deep, deep theological reflection and searching for the better part of a decade. Um, and as I learned things, I wanted to share them with other people. So I started writing and blogging and I, you know, I, I connected to folks like in the, um, kind of in the Mormon you know, like, like, like you, lovely friends, you know, um, and, and, and started, um, speaking about the idea of grace in particular, God's grace, um, publicly. Um, and, and I think that was, you know, as I started doing that, I felt a deep sense of purpose in that I felt a deep sense of call that I, I was meant to, Proclaim a word of grace, um, and then through some kind of random, (laughs) but that that seemed random at the time. But you know how you look back and you say, "Oh, that was probably the hand of God actually working in that moment." Like, um, you know, met some people, discovered Lutheranism, which has a very robust theology of grace. Like Luther had scrupulosity. Like I I read about Luther and I was like, "Wow, this I know this guy." Like I get him. Also, he's an asshole uh, sometimes. Um, but... I was
2: reading something that he wrote today about woman. And I'm like, oh, man, Katie. No, 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 he's an asshole sometimes. I'm not wow. like,
0: I'm not excusing that. But he, he his theology is, is beautiful in, in, in many ways, uh, in many places. Um, anyway, it really resonated with me. Um, found myself in a Lutheran seminary um, by accident. Um,
2: and here I am. So, you are in a Lutheran sem- seminary, and Fatima, you've been ordained a Baptist minister. Is that correct? It is right. And right. I'm sort of heading towards the Anglican Church, but you know, everybody kind of knows I'm I'm religiously very promiscuous. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. So, <laughs> yesterday I did Mormon. Um, and yeah. then I did Anglican and then in the evening I finished with Baptist and I loved it all. I'm like, I can't choose. It's all no way. She, I, I probably liked the Mormon less. Um, <laughs> but I've got this high church and low church thing working in me. I'm not quite sure what that means. So I'm just going to ride with it. When you went to divinity school, did you think that there would be a departure from Mormonism?
3: No, definitely not. No. How did that happen? Um, that's a good question. Um, I I think it happened slowly, but if I had to say anything, I think it was just the Mormon church could no longer hold my call. Um, It did well for a time and really developing me, nurturing me and moving me with God. But then as God kept moving with me, they could no longer hold me well.
0: And what about you, Katie? Uh, Well, no, I mean, I started, um, I started seminary by total accident. Um, I mean, I, I'd known for a while that I didn't want to do. I, I was in marketing, and I didn't want to just do marketing forever. I, I knew that 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 wasn't. So for a while, so f- for for a year, actually, I was enrolled in a dual degree program of marriage and family therapy and and theology um, because I figured, as a Mormon woman, that would that like being a counselor who had um, some theological training would be like the closest thing I could be like get to being a minister, um, as a Mormon woman. Um, and, and so it wasn't until I was in school and talking to people who were preparing to be ministers and feeling so jealous that I was like, "Uh Oh, (laughs) maybe this is, you know, like I didn't. I took I took some classes in marriage and family therapy. I didn't really like them, and I was like. And then I took theology classes, and I was like, I love this. Um, and I was like, This is very inconvenient. This is very
2: inconvenient for my life, but here I am. You know. So, so tell us that at that point, um, either of you, tell us the point at which you thought, okay, mind blown. Did you have that point, Katie? Did you have that? When you went to divinity school?
0: Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, I think, I mean, especially my first couple of years of, of seminary, I don't think there was a class session that went by that I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, wait, what did you say? Right. Like, um, you know, uh, the, just the Trinity or, which I know Gina, you're not a fan of. Oh no, no. I, was, I like
2: the Trinity. I do. You like yes. the Trinity now?
1: It you're is no ex- longer
2: a heretic. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh my. heavens! <laughs> I,
2: I know, but I've just discovered that there's so many movable parts in the Trinity. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, I get that. <laughs> anyway. Yay. Okay. So anyway, the
0: Trinity, I love the Trinity. Uh, so that so that was kind of a mind-blowing kind of like trying to begin, i remember like approaching my systematic theology professor and saying this was my first semester of seminary I said um i was raised mormon and we don't really talk about this and i was wondering if you had any remedial
2: reading on the trinity for me <laughs> it's the confession right <laughs> i'm a mormon I'm- i know I feel anyway, like, I, look at you, you need to treat me like a second language learner <laughs> exactly um no but or
0: or you know in even in like the intro to bible classes like um understanding coming to understand the historical critical method and um looking at the text in context and realizing oh these are a lot of different voices from a lot of different people at a lot of different times and they don't actually agree with each other um and they're kind of sometimes, especially in the Old Testament, they're arguing with each other and um, it's uh, it's complicated and it's messy and it's, um, uh, you know, rich and terrifying and horrible and enlightening and beautiful all at once and 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 just being able to dive into, The complexity of things without, um, I don't know, without needing it to fit a certain very narrow narrative, um, it was challenging as hell. I mean, how many, you know, how many nights have I stayed up like weeping, trying to figure things out or praying or sitting in professor's offices being like, I have no idea what to do with all of this. uh, and yet also feeling, um, so engaged and so alive by the experience.
2: Mm. Fatima, what about you? Did you have like a moment where you felt yourself going
3: down a rabbit hole? Um, I, I think from the first class I took of Old Testament to the whole, I was just blown away. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I absolutely love scripture. I love scripture, love, talk of the divine and God, I mean, I'm just a total nerd. And I sat in a place where you could ask the hardest questions of God and learn things and still be faithful. And I had never been in an environment where you could ask and wrestle with God and still be, and still be called faithful. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I
3: also never been in an environment with so many different people trying to it really, working to trouble the waters in their own religious traditions. Um, so it's kind of like being a bunch around a bunch of rebel rousers who <laughs> have a deep faith and are wanting to push that faith in ways that are just radical and beautiful. So it's it was from my first day. I remember sitting in class in Old Testament, Doctor Anathia Porter Young. Then I had a womanism class my first semester out the gate. Um, yeah. And then a, the race and the formation within the Christian identity. So how racism became a part of Christianity. My gosh, that course like set me free. I'm like, what in the world is going on here? And yeah, I think I, I, there were so many parts where my theology was like shattered. and. I was rebuilding it. They were rebuilding it in ways. And I was really developing a relationship with a God who I knew saw me at where I was at my site. And that is earth shedding to say that from the lens and the body of a black brown woman in America.
2: Uh, I mean, I I don't know about you, but when I started very haltingly asking my first questions, there was this sort of vein of like tension underneath it. Well, how's this going to be received? And I realized that all of my questions were being received with graciousness. I'm like, yeah, that's a really good question. Let's talk about that. That was a release valve for me. Like, oh, wow, I can actually have this wrestle with God and my religion and my faith. And it can be part of, it can be a faithful thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that means we all had that moment. Yeah. Yeah. But I suppose the question is like, what was that doing with your Mormonism at the the time? It was messing me up, man. (laughs) 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 Right. You don't think, you know, you go in there, you think, oh, maybe I can be helpful to the church. (laughs) Like <laughs> maybe I can, you know, my theology can be really helpful in a church that doesn't really embrace it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, what do you say about Mormon theology? Oh.
0: There there might be a few individual Mormons who do um but no. I mean, certainly not institutionally.
2: Right. Fatima, do you have the same reaction? Is it's not really theologically robust? No,
3: I, I I, don't. I think it is theologically robust. Okay. I think most, most Christianity and different traditions are theologically robust. It's just that I don't think that they're robust in the right way sometimes. Mm-hmm. They're robust with something. <laughs> <laughs> Something's going on over there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's robust. I mean, the discussions are robust, but it's just like, huh? Uh, yeah. So... I, I, I let's talk about scripture then Fatima I mean you've
2: been very public about your love of, of scripture and even the book of Mormon like how is how is divinity school shaping your um, experience with scripture
3: well um, I think um, womanism in and of itself has shaped a, a, a large part it comes from a hermeneutic which is like the definition of hermeneutic um, ladies do you want to help me
0: that's a it's, lens, lens through which you read.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so a lens in which you read that's, yeah, I was struggling for the words. Thanks, Katie. So her, womanism says you should come at scripture with a hermeneutics of suspicion. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that, so you come from the lens, you read the scripture with suspicion because it was written not by you, not for you, not with you in its lens. Right. Um, which is an interesting way to approach text, holy text is like, I'm going to approach this says that you were never, you were never aiming really to see me. People like me weren't really writing it or moving in my sort of narrative um, or narrative of the marginalized old woman in, in holy text. Um, so it's done. It's really helped me in a way and knowing the process of exegesis, like how you move through text and and um, study it and take it apart, it's been a beautiful experience. I'm. It's only like heightened my love of the Book of Mormon, heightened my love of the Bible. Also, I'll be plain and simple. I'll tell you when I throw out text, something that I feel that is a radical move. But sometimes I'll be like, the Bible contradicts itself. Every, you know, holy text can be wrong or. I just, it's not, it's not life giving to me. If the text is not life giving to me at that time, I will toss it. It, it, And it may be life giving at another time, but if it's death dealing and how it's moving and it's not helping me in the image of God, like affirming that I was made in the image of God as a child of God, I, I throw out the text, which I now, I know sounds really rebellious and radical, but but I suppose um, that hermeneutics of suspicion
2: arouses that sense of rebellion and our right to rebellion, doesn't it? Like, I mean, we talk yes. a lot about wrestling with the text, and it, it invites that, and invites our outrage. But, you know, I mean, obviously you, you were at Duke Divinity School um, and they weren't literalists because this is really important, isn't it?
3: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm not sure if all of them would agree with what I learned. I'm sure they'd be like, did she really learn that from me- us? Uh- <laughs> So that may be up for for debate, but I, I'm a lover of scripture. I just love it. And, um, but one thing I will not do, and I will try very hard to do is not weaponize it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very careful and I stick to my spiritual Hippocratic oath. I will first do no harm. Um, I will not intentionally try to harm someone's faith. And so I see scripture as like, how can this text be life-giving and do beautiful work in the hearts and minds of people? And I found that Div School taught me how to do that better and I start speaking from a theology from the margins, which has been so crucial um, to my own development. I, While I say that my mission Helped save, like, help me keep my relationship with God. It, the next step was divinity school, helped keep my relationship with God. I think I was at a precipice in both of those time periods in my life where I didn't know if I could continue my relationship with God. And a mission helped me solidify that God existed for me, and div school helped me know that God saw me. Mm. What do you mean by theology from the margins? I think a lot of the theology we get are from a certain are from a certain lens. Um and particularly in the Mormon church it comes from a white male lens, a privileged lens. And um a lot of the theology that comes around in America with its um United States of America um is is very much from the privileged and a white male patriarchal cishet Lend. the margins would be anyone who doesn't fit in that description right. you know if you at any point in time were not allowed to be baptized or to be have the priesthood or you know if you at any time there was you did not have access to the fullness of the gospel you're on the margins um and or if you still denied access whether you want to claim a certain theological or sort of spiritual reason why certain people are not allowed access, um, it still exists that those people are on the margins. So, and I'd prefer to have God who speaks
2: from that point. And when you say God speaking from the point, that point is you're doing a bit of a move in saying actually God still is present, and God is revelatory and prophetic. And those people who have been pushed to the religious and and social and church margins, and so if we kind of turn our lens around and say, "Well, how is God speaking into your life? How is God revealing God's self in your life?" Actually, that changes a lot. I mean, it changes pretty much everything, really, isn't it? Doesn't it?
3: Yes, it does.
2: Mm. Yeah. And in many respects, that's the heart of Christianity, though, isn't it? That this is yep. the point at which Jesus is speaking. He's not speaking from the center. He's speaking to the center with those at the margins. And this is how I think I wonder, you know, I mean, obviously Christianity has been captured by the center because it has, um, you know, it, it can be appropriated to have a moral effect on, on communities and make social management easy. But at the heart of this kind of Christianity that, that, that bubbles up out of kind of white corporate, you know, the metropole, I guess, it, 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 we can rightly question whether or not that's deeply Christian at all.
0: I don't, I don't think it, I don't think it is. And I think, you know, you hear a lot of people, um, you know, so, you know, I'm in a, in a mainline seminary and a mainline denomination. And, and so you hear, um, hand wringing, uh, about how, you know, the church is dying and the church is losing influence, da, 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 da. You hear that. Um, I think you hear that from Mormons as well. Um, for, from my perspective, I kind of say, well, thank God, (laughs) you know, uh, not that, um, the church and by that, I mean the church universal by that. I mean, um, the body of Christ in the world uh, is itself dying um, because Christ is risen, but that the political and institutional and social structures are breaking down in the church um, is a death that is long overdue. Um and will force, hopefully, um, will force uh, those of us um, in the in the Christian movement to return to the roots of the faith, which is um, the, you know, like um, like you were saying, uh, Fatima and Gina, both the, um, you know. Speaking from the margins to the center, taking those on the outside and bringing them into um, and having them, you know, having everyone come into um, beloved community um, and and recognizing that um, the power revealed in in a Messiah who is executed as a political traitor on a Roman cross and saying that this is the salvation of the world is a deeply radical, countercultural kind of claim about God um, that that has been missed for far too long uh, and hopefully mm-hmm. will be now galvanized around it.
2: Mm-hmm. Do, do you both think do that you both- there's much, much hope? Uh, no, no.
3: i'm not as hopeful um i have a hard time i as we were talking before this podcast even started i'm I, i have a hard time reconciling myself sometimes i just say god and i are in the midst of a wrestle um and i get that way every so often with god when i feel like I want God to have shown up more or to be better at showing up for people, especially my people, any people on the margins who are suffering. So sometimes my hope wanes um, quite a bit. And yeah, especially in the climate that the U.S. is in right now. I think I felt like we were in such a better place than we were and to find out we weren't there has put me like in a tailspin almost of like, are we ever going to get this right? Or is it just going to recapitulate itself in ugliness over and over again? So yeah, I'm not as hopeful, at least not at this season right now. Maybe if you catch me in a couple of weeks, well, no, not then. Maybe couple months. Yeah.
2: That's part of the journey though, isn't it? I found my year at Divinity School have been wrestling with my theism as as well as my atheism, with my hope, as well as my despair. All of that have been coalescing in this journey because I think as um, theologians, you have to confront the messiness of it. And I think Divinity School has asked us, asks us to constantly confront the messiness of it all.
3: Yes, and then sometimes I feel like my hopelessness, or like me being upset at God, is still not being grateful. And yet I'm grateful for how much I've been given, and opportunity, and beautiful things I've been given in my life. So sometimes I feel like an ingrate. But then I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how to manage my own frustration at the same time grateful. But I believe it all can exist in the same at the same moment. It's like when you find your child who's been lost you are relieved and angry all at the same time. You know, you're like, "Yes. I'm glad I found you. Now why were you missing me?" Yeah. You know, I feel like you can hold two opposing emotions at the exact same time. Um and that is the human existence. Um and sometimes that's my relationship with God. Is that I'm deeply grateful for all I've been given, but deeply upset that so many are without. And Why can't I see God answer them?
2: Can I just ask, what is the relationship between God and the church for you? Where do you sit in that relationship? Are they two discrete things or is church bound up with the question of God? So when you say, um, you know, I want to, I want God or that you lament that more is not being done, are you saying more is not being done in the church for, for the, for the marginalized or? god is not intervening it's not imminent enough
3: both right both i'm frustrated with believers who don't seem to see the marginalized well and um can't seem to see suffering well for instance i started like training on equity and doing it you know, race equity and with faith, like in a faith model. And I realized that one thing they needed us to do was to teach empathy. I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) seriously, (laughs) teaching empathy so you could hear why African-Americans feel the way they do why queer and trans people are going through what they do. Like uh, we got to teach Christians how to hear one another, how to hear people like seriously, empathy project. And I think I was so dismayed that the church in and of itself and its moral superiority, that it's claimed still needs to be taught empathy, how to hear and see those on the margins, the oppressed. Yeah. That gets me pretty frustrated. And, um, yeah. And then I'm also upset at God for like, sometimes not moving fast enough I'm like how long can black people be crying and praying and and petitioning and lamenting and grieving before this ends like how long a woman gonna go through all of this mess before it ends children like what, what?
0: you know I have something of a mystical view of the church um, where um, the church is is in a very profound and real way that the mystical body of christ in the world um and so it's um it's a really annoying that that the church is um at least one of the ways that god has chosen to be present in the world because it's so Profoundly messed up (laughs) Um, But B The thing that Strikes me Is that The body of Christ itself Is wounded Right Um, Mm. Mm. that, That Jesus' body In the resurrection Carries wounds in his hands And in his feet And in his side um, and sometimes, sometimes we want to paper over all that. We want to hide that fact, but to, to be the body of Christ in the world means to be deeply, deeply vulnerable. Um, and to the extent that our institutions refuse to do that, and to the extent that they Seek their own power um, instead of living after the way of um, of Christ, of the crucified and, and risen Christ. Um, we all suffer, you know, uh, and we're we're all the worse for it. Um, so,
2: so what you're saying then, discipleship, Christian discipleship, is is being part of the resurrection. Yeah. Um, And the resurrection is not wound denying.
0: No. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I suppose, you know, we could talk about the theology of the cross, and I I know for you both has the cross become something different. You know, we're very cross-denying in the church, the LDS church.
0: I mean, I don't see how you – you can't do Christianity without the cross. Um, There is no gospel without the cross.
2: Ooh, that's a big statement to make. <laughs> <laughs> Katie Langston, can you please elaborate? <laughs> so I actually,
0: I kind of, I wrote a paper about this um, last spring. Um, you no, know, because I reflected often, um, this journey on kind of growing up in a church without the cross and what ends up happening, I think, at least this is my experience. I don't know. Maybe, maybe yours have been different. Um, But for me, death is almost papered over in Mormonism. It doesn't, and I've used that Phrase now twice papered over, it, and I don't think I've ever used it before. But anyway, it's it's completely glossed over, right? It, it's 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 not real. Um, we're in this. Even if you if you think back um, to the idea that we were you know preexistent, and then we're born, and then we die, and we go to the spirit world, and then we're resurrected, and we go into one of the one of the kingdoms. Um, there is no sense that. Death is a real power. That the 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 darkness and the despair and the hopelessness um doesn't really sink in. You kind of pretend like it's not there. At least that was kind of how I felt about it. Um, and so what happens is when you pretend like like death isn't real, um, then Resurrection is a bright, hot, shining, um, fire that lacks the brokenheartedness of despair and, and, and ultimately grace. Um, and so, and so the Christian in my, you know, from my perspective, The Christian gospel is the proclamation of both the cross and the resurrection that death is real, that it is a real power, and that we are all living and enslaved by the powers of death every single day. I mean, look around us, right? We are enslaved to death. We, we serve consumerism. We, we, we cl- close our eyes to the impoverished. Um, we turn away the, the poor. Um, we, we kick gay kids and, and queer kids out of our homes and, and we let them, you know, struggle on the streets. Um, um, we, you know, we live in a culture where, um, you know, where police officers can, can, can shoot black people and murder them with, with no consequence. Um, we, 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 are, we live in a culture that serves death. And until we recognize that, we don't understand the predicament we're in. Um, and on the cross, God enters death in order to defeat death. Um, but if we don't know what death is, if we don't know what the cross is, then the resurrection makes no sense. Does that make any sense?
2: Yes, it does. What are your thoughts about the cross there, Fatima?
3: I don't, I don't know, but I don't do cross well. (laughs) That could be my Muslim heritage coming out. Do you know that actually uh-huh.
2: that actually came up for me? I'm like, that's oh, because she's Muslim Mormon as well.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I like struggle with the cross. I'm all, why did a perfect God need to die again? Uh, couldn't we reroute this? Like if I was God, I wouldn't be doing this, you know? um. So yeah, I'm, Katie does it beautiful, beautifully. And, I think from my entry into from Islam to Christianity the more um, the Latter-day Saint faith did such a beautiful job of like moving me in atonement um, and I had to take baby steps in it cause I, and I still I still struggle I'm the worst you guys this is not probably a good podcast for me because I'm like all the key concepts of Christianity I'm like eh I don't know <laughs> I, I three use a div school to go, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: so this comes back to the question like, what's the orientation in our divinity schools? So, I mean, Duke Divinity Schools obviously, you know, it has a social justice um, emphasis, right? Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. I think
3: the people I, I intentionally took classes from. That's right. Had a social justice
2: lens. <laughs> I, I'm not allowed to take all these social justice classes. I have to take biblical theology.
3: Um, yeah, I was a couple of those.
2: So it's about the emphasis, right? And your and the Lutheran seminary seems really strong on systematic theology. Those kind of basic kind of Christian things like resurrection and um,
0: yeah, I think so. Grace. And, um, and...
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so. That's that's true. Yeah. Which is not to say that this isn't a really beautiful way of looking at the cross. And I, and, and it really resonates in many respects because of my penchant. I should say penchant because mm-hmm. they are Americans. Penchant for pyro theology, which is to say, look at the cross that shows the sins of the world. It illuminates the sins of the world. Right. So it's less of a literal approach to, Oh, well, Jesus was resurrected and I might be resurrected too. If I'm good enough. It's more a case of actually look how horrible this world is. Look how deeply wounded it is. It will take somebody so gracious and good, who worked at the margins, who spoke truth to power, and they will kill that person. So I'm I'm seeing it differently from you, Fatima, as in I reject the idea that God gave his son up for this and suggesting actually the world took one of the best things that we had and killed it.
3: So I, I struggle with the cross, and I think I always, you know, I had a professor, Dr. J. Cameron Carter, who called it uh, his, budding his theology a fugitive theology, because Jesus was pretty much, you know, you know, assessed killed by the state, um, mm-hmm. by the outcry of religious people. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we move into Advent season and and the Advent calendar, we're moving towards Christmas. I, the birth of Jesus, is what really gets me every single time. Huh. Um, I absolutely love the birth of Jesus. Uh, it is so cool in the world out of all the religions has a God born in such a way, like in a manger, like in a barn, you know, and put in swaddling, which is just rags. Um, like, I don't know, you study so many gods in different religions in different places, but. The Jesus born of a young girl and in, in scandal. So Joseph had to marry her so that way she wouldn't be wrapped up in this scandal. And then she's like traveling, and then there's no place for her. And she she births God and God's self in this really poor circumstance like just who wants to give birth amidst cows and stuff and wrap their newborn baby in swaddling clothes and to think that i we believe in a god born in mess mm. and amidst scandal um and that three the three wise men were not actually christians or jews mm. but were prophetic beautiful voices from different other faiths right. and spiritual tr- and they came to testify of a God born here and they were shepherds in a field it was like all the powers that be and all the religious people are like that you would think would show up are not showing up for the announcement Um, it's, it's this season that I'm compelled in Christianity I'm compelled by what kind of faith would give us a God born in such circumstances.
2: And I love what you're saying because what's coming up for me is this idea that Christianity is a a faith of surprise.
3: Mm. Um, Yeah, exactly. That God would never show up the way you think God's going to show up. And that's that's the power of Christianity is that we think God is X and going to do X and that's the problem. We think the King of Kings, the Lord of the Lords would look a certain way. But God is so tricky and wild and unruly that god shows up completely unexpected and not ex- even like you how you thought ready to just be surprised that's the whole thing like if god shows up and god's a black queer woman i am not going to be surprised
2: <laughs> right. i'm
3: going to be like oh that that's about right <laughs> mm. but then god does show up
2: as black queer woman right
3: all the yeah, time and that's constantly. why we miss it cuz we thinking god yep. looks like x yeah we're, blind we're expecting by right. jesus Exactly. With a big beard,
0: but neatly trimmed. But God, but God, but God is actually in the black queer woman or God is in the man on the side of the road um, asking for money at the traffic stop or God is God is in the children who don't have enough food. To get through the day or the week, and that is where God is present. And if you are looking for God in the, um, in, in, in the halls of power, and if you're looking for God in wealth, and if you're looking for God in, um, you know, political, (laughs) in, in places of, uh, political prestige and political influence you are you are looking in the wrong places and and you are worshiping an idol Mm. um Mm -hmm. i mean because because the god who shows up in christianity is the baby born in a barn and laid to sleep in a feeding trough and you know i would extend that to then the god who dies on a roman cross yes naked yes
2: and bleeding naked
0: naked Mm -hmm. and bleeding yeah yeah it's not That's not what we expect, Um, which is, like, one of the only things that gives me an inkling of hope that maybe it's even true. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, who would make that up? I mean,
3: right. That's true. It's so, yeah, it's so fantastic in its imagination. Yeah. In it's absurdity. It's absurd. It's absurd. To have a king of kings in swaddling clothes. Yeah. Like even my baby had better clothes than that right. when my baby was born.
0: Yeah. But
3: the king of kings did not. Yeah. Um and socially a bastard. Yeah. Yes, a yeah. bastard, right? Yeah. Yes, so and we have not and I don't know if maybe if Christianity grappled with the absurdity mm-hmm. and where God is then we would be able to better find God in the margins. Yes. In the prison cells, in the single mother who's not able to make ends meet, like, and we could vote along those lines, and we could because we would go to those places to meet God and to see what God asked of us. This is, I mean, this is a little,
0: maybe a little Pauline. Pauline, how do you say that, Pauline? I think Pauline.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Pauline's a woman's name. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that was (laughs) done with me. (laughs) Good call. Good call, Gina. Um, but you know, I mean, I think, I I think there's something, I think there's something to this. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, if you would have asked me, is there like, I'm going to bring out a scary word here, but if you'd asked me like, is there something like the demonic, you know, I would have been like, no, that's made up bullshit. Sorry to curse on your pod on the podcast. But, um, like I would have said, you know, that's not, that's not a thing. But, but then (laughs) Paul talks about how Christ defeats the prince and principalities and powers of the world. And, and you look at like the stuff that's going on right now in our country. And you look at, um, the way that, that, that power is so blatantly and obviously completely corrupt. Um, and you think if that is not a principality in power, like I do not know what is. Um, if if that is not like the, a force of darkness, like I'm not sure that that's uh, you know I, I don't I don't know that there would be a better uh, example of what of what that could possibly be. Um, and so and so to say that 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 it's the it's it's the weakness it's the unexpectedness it's in the marginalized it's in the poor um it's in the outcast and the downtrodden that real power the power of god is found and discovered is a shockingly radical thing to claim um and that the other thing is like a a cosmic counterfeit
2: you know, one of the very things that has me at a threshold, a mm. religious and um, church threshold, because when I look over my shoulder, I'm not sure that I can trust the LDS church. Oh, this is big. The LDS church to attend to or listen to the God in the margins and in the wounds. God is in the corporation. God is in these beautiful buildings. God is in the temple. God is, and I'm not saying God doesn't exist but that's not the only place that god exists and christianity requires us i do believe to look up beyond our own ego beyond our own hubris and look at the most vulnerable places in the world and ask ourselves how is god showing up in me through your woundedness um i, I can't trust the eldest church to do that anymore
3: i hear you i think i i yeah i'm I think I could count on it to do to see some margins. It sees some, and and I'm grateful for the ones it taught me to see. And then I just think mm, mm, I'm as I move with God, it's expanding. I'm able to see more and more. But you know, I, I quote my grandmother. You know, ninety three old ninety three year old Nana, black grandmas. I mean, better than Bart or. Like, Joseph, you need theology from old black grandmas. They'll lay stuff down. And I, I, she told me when she goes, no matter what church you go to, it's built by men. We're going to mess it up all the time. That's what they do. So what you doing? You just got to search for the one that's messed up in the ways you can handle. And, <laughs> this is I, so I, true. I, and I and love that. that. Because she's like, just look for the one, just like marriage or anything else no one's perfect. They're not going to get it perfect, which of course bothers me about this sense of like only truth and that sort of, you know, supersessionalism. But I love that she told me that because I can give everyone their strengths and their weaknesses because they have them and churches have them. I just have to pick the one that I can best navigate in at that time. And for a long time, that was a Mormon church. And now it's a Baptist, a small Baptist church in Raleigh, not so small now anymore, but, and I wouldn't be surprised if it changed again. Like I, I, I give myself open to, um, to seeing where I'm healthiest. And also, where can I go to work the best in call at that time in my life, in that season? So I'm going to go with Nana theology and say, Churches, you just got to be at the church that you can live with. What, where they're messed up? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And
2: I think that's one of the things that trips us up as Mormons. We're looking for a true church. So if you're not oh, yeah. n- not going to the true church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, what true church are you going to? And I, and one of the things that's been a relief for me is that in all these other traditions that I participate in in community, nobody's talking about what church is true. <laughs> like it just it doesn't right? happen. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But you know no, oh, oh. oh, go ahead. Oh, I, but but you know, they do admit the brokenness. Uh, I remember um a few weeks ago I'm sitting at McDonald's and one of the churches I go to, um and it's a contemporary service, a small contemporary service, Anglican service, and afterwards everybody goes to McDonald's. And I had Rory, one of the priests, say, Do you know when we do the absolution? because i really like the absolution i used i was taught to laugh at the absolution but i really like the absolution he said because I, he said i think that that absolution is for the sins of the church um mm. but that what's missing are the conversations where we face the sins of the church and we talk about them and we seek ways in which we can move forward and 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 overcome and you know seek seek um, um forgiveness for what how we've hurt our communities. He said, you know, your private sins you can take care of by yourself, but it's your corporate sins that are really powerful. And I, I really, really like that idea. So nobody's saying, hey, we're all perfect. Um, you yeah. know, as a church community, we're broken, but how can we yeah. face our brokenness? How can we walk into the future backwards? That's lovely. So like as we, as we wrap up this gorgeous conversation um, about three women, women who are finding themselves in vocation, um and call cool elsewhere what sort of relationship have you found yourself having
3: with mormonism um i still deeply love it like love it like i don't know it's just been it's beautiful um it's contained in a way though um i've said this i think that i love it to how far it took me with god and they walked me there held me and then when I could no longer, it could no longer take me where I needed to go further, then my Duke Divinity community was this place. I felt like a religious refugee and they were my church. Um, and for three years, they were my church and I found another church and they took hold of me and been beautiful and, and they're walking with me now in this season. But Div School, for me, was such a soft landing, such a hard leap of faith. Um, but I, I, I've i worked very intentionally on not being too angry with the church, um, for not being able to go longer and hold me longer and hold me as long as I, I desired they would be, or to accept me and my call. I really wanted them not to reject me Um, and I worked hard for them to see me and they couldn't. So I, I, I wanted to work hard and not being so angry and hurt by them. And so years of therapy and having a really good love circle and it's knowing people like you and Katie and communities like this where I'm able to still flourish and talk about it and able to tell. Speak of the goodness it gave me, and and as I do that, and also speak of where you know it was hurtful, but I I I desperately try not to malign, to speak poorly of any of my faith journey. Um, I just try to give it the credence it had for the season I was in, and that goes for Islam as well. And I I choose to remember how beautiful my journey with God in that season was and that it was hurtful to move on to the next season. But God has been also graceful and and also tender with me that my leaps of faith into the next, which looked like rejection was in fact an embrace on the other end. And so I am committed to following a God that shows up, in a white Mormon pew in Utah that shows up in an Islamic mosque in Brooklyn, and a Baptist church in Raleigh, and a Methodist seminary in Durham. And um, I am committed to that, God, because that is my journey. And I will not be ticked at any part of this journey. I don't have the bandwidth to be mad at every one of the religions that I've been a part of. Um, I would just walk around kind of just in the haze. So I am deeply grateful for a God who shows up in a myriad of ways in so many different religious traditions and that I can, I can be embraced at the end of it.
2: I love it. I love it. And it's so resonant for me too that as much as I can point the finger at Mormonism, um, it's, it's, it's sort of a perverse sort of protest. I, I love to use that Peter Rollins quote, the energy that you expend really, really hating it. <laughs> and I think it's forgiving it for, you know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking I have to, I have to be in a better position to forgive it for making promises that it was not able to keep for me. Yes. And I remember Nathan who so desperately wanted me to, to reel me back into orthodoxy giving me a blessing, and God moved in him and said, your journey is trustworthy, you go. And it was as much a surprise to, to him, who's a good Mormon man, than it was to me. Well, it actually wasn't that much of a surprise to me. I'm like, yeah, but it was just a beautiful release. Like you mm-hmm. just go where God is. And every time I've done it, like responding to this call, responding to going to, to um, divinity school, has been so blessed and so fruitful and spiritually mm. intuitive and such a grace. Katie, mm. Katie, tell us about how you're managing your relationship with the LDS Church. You're a little bit pissing at the moment though, aren't you? I mean, I, you know, I go
0: through ups and downs. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, my, um, my spouse and, and children are still um, active participants in, uh in Mormonism and i I go to church with them um, you know a a decent portion of the time um, I think on my best days, um, I recognize the the depth of faith that they that they instilled in me um Mm -hmm. Mormonism is not like a half-assed religion it's not casual right
1: it's (laughs) not yeah
0: yeah Yeah. and 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 I was sitting in a class um this semester and, and they were talking about how uh you know parents um it was, in, it was talking about Lutheranism in particular, but I, I think this might extend to a lot of the mainline traditions. Parents don't pass on their faith to their children. They don't talk about it. It's private. You know, they they don't see it as something that they necessarily need to um, uh, uh, share. Um, and I went up to the professor afterward, and I said you got to tell me more about this because I cannot comprehend for one single second, a culture (laughs) (laughs) where you're not actively and consistently and passionately sharing, um, you know, sharing your faith and your convictions, um, with your children. Uh, and, and to have been, um, raised in a place where, uh, where God was central, um, and where, you know, for, for all the flaws and, and, and for all the critiques that I would have about, you know, the theology, um, and, and maybe the way they conceive of, um, Christ and grace and some of those things that are really pivotal, um, issues for me, you know, it was in Mormonism that I met Christ I met Jesus there, and that is a gift that, um, for which, you know, I, my gratitude knows no bounds. Um, and I think of my,
2: yeah, go ahead. I was going to say it installs a spiritual sensitivity that sometimes you don't see elsewhere, right? It's so
0: true. It's so true.
2: It does. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, final question to you both is, There are a number of women who are considering, and you know, we're part of a group of women, Mormon ladies, who Mm -hmm. are considering their call. What would you say? What would you say to them by way of pastoral advice? I would say,
0: I'd say a couple things. One is don't try to plan it out or figure it out because no matter what, you will be completely wrong. (laughs) True. (laughs)
2: Um, Makes no financial sense. It makes no religious sense and it messes with your family.
3: (laughs) Also correct and correct.
2: (laughs) It screws everything up.
0: True. Um, And I would, but, and I would also say, uh, so, so you can't see the end from, from the beginning. Um, But I would also say, like, about those complications, um, I mean, I remember, you know, like, my, you know, my husband was not, shall we say, the world's most thrilled man in the world, um, when I began insisting that I felt like God was not letting me off the hook with this call thing, um, and, you know, and I would not have, um, I would not have been willing to sacrifice my marriage for my calling. Um I, 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 uh I really needed him on board. That was, that was me. That's me. That's, that's just how I am. Yeah. And he wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't super on board. And I remember praying and saying to God, like, look, if this is, The thing that you want then you're gonna have to do this um because i sure can't and it seems like pretty impossible (laughs) um but god did you know so i think trust if you feel a call you can't try to plan it out you can't micromanage it trust god and take the next step There's only, you know, perhaps there's only light for the, for one step ahead. And then there's light for the next step and the next step. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and go slow and discern and talk to people you can trust and, um, and pray. And, and I think your, your vocation will begin to open up. So,
2: yeah. And I, I think about the number of years, every time, even when I was an undergraduate, I would look at theology, b- bachelor's in mm. de- and, and theology. It's mm. taking a long time to get here, but it's always bubbled away. Yeah. Uh, and there is a season for it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Same and yes.
3: Yes. Anything else, Fatima? I think my my thing is if you're thinking about it and it's starting to rumble inside of you, um take the leap. Mm-hmm. Take the leap. Um, go ahead and talk to those who love you deeply, who will be affected by this decision. Um, and it, if you still feel like this is something you should do, I, I encourage you to pray and fast very Mormon of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to ask you to pray and fast that, that the space is opened in your love circle. So that way you could pursue this and move with God in this. Um, but I do think, let me just say this, and I wouldn't want to end talking about div school without saying that div school divinity school empowered me and mm-hmm. empowered me in a way that I didn't know I was disempowered previously. Um, and, there's a different relationship I have with God when I walk in my own power of my call with God. And so I am just crazy enough, like women who say they're going back to school or anyone who's searching for God and to be empowered in the way they walk with, I'm like, do it, like, go run, you know, and of course you should be more, you know, intentional about what is this going to do to family and everything. That's why you have Katie in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And then you have the team who's like, yeah, let's do this, you know? Um, So even though you get there and you're like, what am I doing here? But I cannot express enough how empowered I feel to walk in scripture, to preach, to teach, um, to bless, um, to anoint just beautiful things that I just never could see myself doing I now do and I remember the first time a person asked if I would like put oil and anoint them and pray for them and I'm like oil I never have oil like who has oil but I was at a dip school and everyone had oil you know what I'm saying and I'm the only one really? like, where's the priesthood holder <laughs> you know like who does <laughs> Fatima, you know? <laughs> so, And then someone literally gave me a little bag of oil, and it said, we love you. But it was just a gift. And I remember looking at that oil and being so profoundly like, oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, so I know that's a long story to say, go for it. But that's, yeah, go for it. My pastor,
2: uh, (laughs) I guess I've got a priest, a pastor, and a bishop. (laughs) It's
3: ridiculous.
2: (laughs) But my my pastor said, you know, at those moments where God's not showing up for you, maybe God's just moved to a different place in the room. In many respects, Divinity School and this this new path that each of us have taken in our own time have been rediscovering God in a different place in the room. And I think we all three could say, I have no regrets about that whatsoever, none whatsoever. Yeah, I mean it
0: sucked from time to time. Well, it sucked <laughs> yes. a lot of the time, but
2: <laughs> because you know you're leaving, you know you there, there is a, there is an ending, there is a death, um, and you have to, you know, as a good minister, you have to uh, minister at that death of your own self, parts of your own self, yeah. um, but be at the resurrection of the other parts of yourself. So, yeah, that's the truth. Well, I love you both. You are an extraordinary, wonderful, inspiring woman. I've been speaking with um, the Reverend Doctor Fatima Saleh and Katie Langston, who is an ordin candidate for ordination in the Lutheran Church. All of us. And do you call yourself still call yourself Mormon? Like, like I,
0: you know, I call myself Lutheran, but I say that I have uh, a Mormon background. That I was raised Mormon.
3: Mm-hmm. What about you, Fatima? I try not to call myself anything as of late right. <laughs> it's probably a good <laughs> idea <laughs> like anyone go ahead I don't know yeah. you know but like- I, I, I always claim it in in a way that I claim Islam but in the way yeah I and I still yeah I still claim it until they take my name off and then I still will claim it even then if you'll
0: they
3: still
2: do claim it
0: anyway that's right
3: yeah hey, I, hey yeah. A final question um yeah. Like, it's a
2: really dreary question, but a bureaucratic question nonetheless. Uh, Apostasy is defined as joining another church, which should result in excommunication. Um, (laughs) I haven't heard of anybody being excommunicated for joining another church. Have you?
3: No, I haven't. No, but you know what? I am a brown woman, so I could be the first. Okay, okay. Let's do <laughs> Fatima. Look at Fatima. You know, um, I don't understand why you have to end this whole thing that way. That's like, <laughs> you know I will take I'm it gonna out. To, I'm going to have to have you rewind a little here.
2: <laughs> um, I might put the question elsewhere, actually, because <laughs> because that's a, that's a question that a lot of people have. Like, well, this?
3: Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, this oh yeah, be I my- thought long and hard that they would excommunicate me. And yeah. if they invited me to my own excommunication, I wouldn't go. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't either. You, you know what I'm saying? But I've thought long and hard, like, and it would still, I would still cry and mourn. Like, I'd be hurt. I'd still be hurt. Why? Because I, because you like, I it. don't want to kick me out. Yeah. Officially. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like, either. Right now I, have all the, right now, I have a lot of the power because I'm like, I've left you. With something else, and they say, no, we kicked you out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we can just say, we're not going.
1: Right.
2: <laughs> you can do what you want, but we're not going.
3: <laughs> it's like the worst breakup story, you know? Yeah. Like, I left you. No, I left you. <laughs> you know? No. <laughs> I left you. Yes, let's get this straight. Long before you excommunicated me, I left you. Yeah. I don't know.
2: And I haven't even so, really gone, so I still show up. I'm still on the books as active. And you are too, Katie, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I am. And it's it's awkward from time to time. It's like, <laughs> I don't know what to say to people. I don't know who knows what. I just sort of like
2: <laughs> s- smile and nod a lot. <laughs> one, one day you might have to go
3: with your collar on.
2: <laughs> yeah, right.
3: I should. I
2: kind of want to, actually. I want to.
3: Like, so, when kinda- I get my collar That'd be kind of cool. That'd be kind of (laughs) cool. When I put on Facebook my picture with the collar, people were Facebook messaging me and they're like, What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) Well, for the last five years. (laughs) And I just respond, I'd like to know what's going on too. You know, I mean. Well, one day we'll have a picture of all all
2: three of us and our and our and our um, collars on Temple Square or at church together. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Let's do it. Let's do it. No, let's not do it. Never mind. This is a bad idea. (laughs) I think it'll be awesome. Abort mission. (laughs) (laughs) Abort (laughs) mission.
2: On that silly note, I wish you grace and peace, my friends, and the and blessings. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.